The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Good morning, church. How are we? Who's hanging out for the next couple of weeks to just... Who's, who's ready for a holiday? Yeah. Hallelujah. Wow. Incredible. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew, and some of you might be thinking, what is the guitar guy doing around the word? What's going on here? Um, well, I just love to preach, and I'm so grateful to preach to the people I love, my home church. This morning... Um, this morning we're continuing our Come and Adore series and like I was sort of hinting at before, 2017 is racing away and not just the years racing away, but this series is coming to a conclusion and we've had several weeks of looking at the character of Jesus and who, who's loved that, by the way? Who has loved these last six weeks? It's been incredible and bookending this series, we started with worship and now we're going to come back to this point of worship coming and adoring our Saviour Jesus. So these bookends of glorifying Him. So if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to just invite you now to turn to Revelation 5. My message this morning is entitled, The Eternal Party. And it is totally going to be a party. I think we get sometimes so caught up in this life. I know I do. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I work, you know, all the rest of it. And it's like, man, but there's something so much bigger. There's a much greater reality we're going to experience one day. And so this morning we're going into the throne room of God and seeing Jesus honoured by His angels, honoured by His people, honoured by all of creation. And my prayer this morning is that we'll just have a fresh heart for worship this morning, a fresh vista of Jesus this morning and throughout this Christmas season. I mean, like I was hinting at before, there's going to come a day where our eyes are going to be unveiled. And I tell you, we're going to be blown away at all the beauty of heaven, all the beauty of our Savior. We're going to be just, I mean, I love what we just experienced this morning. That was amazing. But that's, that's nothing compared to seeing Him face to face. We're going to be before His throne one day, church. You know, Revelation 4 says that the God appears like a, he uses the word a jasper. That's an old word for a diamond. God is so brilliant, so colorful, so glorious. This is the God that we worship. And before we read, this passage is going to make us, it's going to make us ask the question, what is it about Jesus that makes him so worthy of worship? What is it about the lamb that makes us say, worthy is the lamb? Now, you might stop and think, Andrew, that sounds really, really obvious. And in a sense it is. But let's just dig in and see exactly what's going on here. It's, it's, it's cool to get behind the reasons. Re- recently, Cheryl and I had this proud, proud parent moment uh, about two weeks ago. Alicia, our eldest, won the school citizenship award for year two. We, were, we didn't know it was coming and we, we were blown away. And then we walked away and we thought, what is a citizenship award? I never won one as a kid. I, di- I don't know what this means. And so we hopped onto Google. What does it mean? And okay, yeah, that makes sense. I, I get that. And so kind of in the same way, it's like we we get Jesus is worthy, but what is John saying here in Revelation? What's going on? That's my heart for this message this morning. So I'm praying that we'll see just what he's responsible for, just what he's achieved and why worship matters, why we come to him in worship. So before we read, let's just pray and then we'll 
we'll dive right in. Father, this morning, we thank you for your presence in this place. Father, we cannot go a day without you, Lord. Like the Israelites marched on with the cloud before them, Lord, we need you. And we thank you, you have heard us. We thank you, you are here with us. God, we just ask that your son be lifted high in this place. Lord, just as he is front and centre in this passage, so be front and centre in this house this morning. Lord God, we want to do nothing else but adore you. We want to have our hearts expanded to you. We want to have our vision grown as to who you are and all the beauty that you possess. Father God, would you just anoint this word? Would you sanctify it to our hearts and let us walk out of here not the same? Let us walk out of here with a greater desire, Lord, to serve you in this life and Lord, to worship you forever and ever. It's such a privilege you've called us to. Bless this time in your precious name, Lord. Amen. All right, so Revelation 5, we're going to, it's a short chapter, so we'll read the whole thing and then we'll, we'll dig in. So verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could look, could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Could totally end it there. What a passage. This is a continuation from chapter four. It's almost like these are sort of part A and part B of this story in the throne room. And the elders and the beasts, they're gathered around their king. But we see some subtle differences as we move into chapter five. Chapter four, it's kind of all about God the Father. 
But as this chapter unfolds, as we've just seen, focus shifts to the Lamb. Focus shifts to the Son of God. This is a pivotal point in the book because the future is about to be unveiled. The apocalypse, as we call it. You know, the four horsemen, the trumpets, all that sort of stuff. Now, this might make you happy. This might make you disappointed. But I'm not touching on any eschatology today. I'm not going to rattle any cages. I've got my views. But the point of this book is not about the end. The point of this book is Jesus wins. The point of revelation is Jesus is worthy. So don't get lost in the detail. Be inquisitive by all means. But Jesus is the one we need to focus on in revelation. So as this unfolds, we see this this scroll. What is this scroll? First of all, I want to put to you that we have a God who is in complete control. As I read this passage, we see a God who is in charge. He's in charge of eternity. He's in charge of the future. And he's holding this scroll, which is written on both sides. Now, this would have been very relevant to a Jewish audience. This scroll, a scroll written on both sides, it was likely a title deed of some sort. And what's on the inside is the property. What's on the outside is the instructions as to who can open it. It's a bit like those of you who've ever got a passport or applied for a bank loan or something and you need a witness to sign and you've got, often there's like a whole page, this person can witness, this person cannot. There's these qualifications. The back of this scroll is a bit like that. There's a requirement as to who can open the scroll. I would suggest to you this is the, could well be the title deed of the universe if you like. This is like creation is waiting to be redeemed and God's finally got it in his hand. And it's detailing, obviously, the future. There's future punishment and there's future mercy and grace for those who find themselves as children of God. So we see a God in control of our future, a God who's in control of the future of his people. Notice that he doesn't just hand on the responsibility to an angel. You notice that? He's holding it. And the angel's like, who is worthy? Who can do this? God doesn't just delegate out these things. It's not like your boss who is overworked and says, here, you do this. This will be good for your management training. God doesn't work like that with the angels. It's his responsibility. Your life, brother, sister, does not depend on how Michael feels or how Gabriel feels or how some angel feels. Everything in your life is held in the palm of God's hand. Does that stagger you? I mean, Rachel, my middle girl, was asking me the other day, how does God hear everyone's prayers all at once? And I said, I have no idea. I just know he does. I just know he does. There's no, you know, there's no, you know, line's busy, try again. There's none of that, you know. God hears. God hears. He doesn't delegate this out. Now, you would think God being in control of the future, John re- should be rejoicing about now. Yes, God, you've got this in your hand. But, but he looks around and the angel asks, who's worthy to open the scroll? And we read in verse 3 that no one could be found. And John starts to weep. He's not celebrating anymore. He's weeping. And I think this is why. He, he's been told by Jesus, come and I'll show you what's going to happen. But there's like this holdup of the future. There's this holdup of God's final plan. And if this can't be opened, he's thinking, where do we go from here? Where do we go? And that word weep, it's like he's wailing, he's howling, all of heaven's hearing him. You know, it's like when you walk into the library and suddenly a two-year-old child is screaming down the end. It's, it's like that, it broke the, the atmosphere. What's going on? 
And so we ask, who then is worthy? God, yes, you're in control of the future, but who is worthy? Who's worthy to open this scroll? Well, praise God. John's sorrow was deep, but it was short-lived because there is one. There is one who was found worthy to open the scroll. His name is Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. He is identified here. He's identified here as, there's a couple of things that John, and if you you skim through it, you might miss it. And I'm going to do this real quick because time's going to go. But there's three things that John picks up here. Firstly, we see that Jesus is the long promised king. He is a king that has been promised from long ago. Notice the words in verse five. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. These are huge terms in the Old Testament. God promised uh, through Jacob and his son Judah that there'll be one from his line who'll be a king. And then later on, he promises to David, there's gonna be one of your offspring who's gonna be a king. And I mean, the history of Israel tells us this should have been impossible. But God carried through and the long promised Jesus, the king, arrives. He's here. God promised to make this family a royal family and he did that. But then there's more. Not just a long promised king, but a redeemer. A redeemer. And we see in one short verse, this is again, there's so so much we could dig out of here. We could be here all day. In this one short verse, in verse six, he just the gospel's right there. He says he sees a lamb. He's he, he talks to the elder and the elder says, the lion has is, is triumphed. He says, okay, bring on the lion. But, it, but it's a lamb. It's a lamb. And he's like, elder, just did I miss something here? What's, what's going on? Where's this lion you're talking about? And he quickly discovers the lion is the lamb. The lamb is the lion, as we sang earlier. This is a crucial symbol, so don't miss it. The lamb. God could have easily brought the lion on at this point, the aggressive lion ready to exact judgment. But instead we see this symbol of grace, this symbol of mercy. And it says to me that the window of grace may well be shutting, but it's still just a little bit open. And can I just say at that point this morning, church, if you have not made that commitment, choose today. Choose today to serve the lamb. Choose today. This window of grace is still open. But then, not just a lamb, but a lamb that is slain. A lamb that appears to be slain. And we know this. The brutality of the cross. We know what Jesus went through for us. Then from being slain, he's standing. In one word, we see the resurrection. He's not simply left in a grave there. He's risen. He's glorified. And then not only that, he's standing at the center of the throne. Not, you know, no longer dead, now alive. Not just alive, he's reigning, reigning forever. And then to top it all off, this is almost a grotesque picture. Seven horns and seven eyes. I wouldn't draw it. But it says he's all seeing. It says he's all knowing. He's all powerful. This is the Lamb of God. Nothing in your life has been missed, church. He hasn't missed it. He has seen, he knows. So we see this redeemer picture as well as the promised king. But thirdly, there's a third one. From this, we see that he is the holder of eternity. 
We see that he is the one. Jesus alone is able and Jesus alone is worthy to take that scroll and to exact the judgment and exact the promise of us being with him forever. It's him only. Do you know, he is the one that fulfills the purposes of God. He said that when he was on the earth. I do nothing except for the Father's will. He did it at creation. He did it bearing our sin on the cross. He does it every day as our advocate. He do, he's, he's doing it and he's going to keep doing it into the future as he opens this, this scroll, this book. This is the God that we serve, brothers and sisters. He came as the lamb. The lion is coming. The lion is coming and he will, he will reign forever. And so you read that and think, okay, that's cool. Great symbols. Yeah, great. But what does that mean? What should we do from that? Where do we go from here? What's next? Well, I want to tell you, church, the very second, the very second that Jesus takes that scroll, something is triggered in heaven. A chain reaction is set in heaven. A chain reaction of worship, a domino effect of praise, if you like. I suggest to you that an eternal party is about to begin. One that will never end. This is what we're part of. This is what we're invited to. And here we see all creation react. All of creation react to this amazing event. This worthy lamb receiving the glory due to his name. This is the God that we serve, brothers and sisters. Now at this point, let me say this. Our worship service this morning did not begin at 9.15. Our worship service didn't begin at 8 o'clock when the, the, the guys were praying out the back or rehearsing the, the music. Our worship service began in eternity. We don't just start a worship service every Sunday. We step into an eternal one. And I'll go one further than that. It's not just for Sunday. You've got the ability to step into this any time that you want to seek the Lord. We step into this eternal party. We step into this company of angels and, and all these creation before the Lord. This is what we're entering into. It's like it's like a Mexican wave. And those of you who've been to the football, you've seen a Mexican wave. If it's a boring game, it tends to go round and round the ground. But this is a Mexican wave that just explodes and reaches to the furthest reaches of the universe. It is massive. Now, quickly, I just want to, we're going to wrap up very soon. I want to wrap up and see where's this wave going? Who's involved? There's some circles around the throne. And as it gets wider, it's really interesting to observe what's going on here. So firstly, who are these characters? Who is around the throne? Well, firstly, we see the four living creatures. Now, this is strange. This is weird. There's a, there's a long description. I won't go into it. But we see these guys also in Ezekiel. We see them in Isaiah. And they're around the throne in these passages as well. There's one other place we see them. And that's in Numbers of all books. Numbers, you know, genealogies, numbers, etc., He's in, they're in there. And interestingly, the scene described in Numbers is like an earthly picture of what's going on here because this is the tabernacle. This is the, the church in the wilderness, if you like. And these four beasts, the, the lion, the ox, the man, the eagle, they are the four directions of the camp of Israel. I won't labor this. This is a sermon in and of itself. But do you know that the camp of Israel looked like this in the wilderness? I don't know if you can read that. It's got the, the names of the four beasts. What do you see? What's the shape? Church, there's no detail here that's by accident. There's nothing in here 
This is just based on the numbers of the tribes who were there. They were set out in this way. The cross, and I want to tell you, it was not an afterthought. Jesus is never on the defensive. And the four living creatures, even in this weird way, attest to that. There's nothing that's by accident. There's, there's an old kid's song we used to sing. Nothing takes God by surprise. The cross was planned centuries before it happened. The devil didn't catch God off guard one day. I promise you that. This was his plan. So these are the four living creatures. Who's next? Well, we read there's 24 elders. Now, this is an interesting group as well. In chapter four, we're told that they wear white and we're told that they've got crowns and these crowns are for reward. Now, if you stop and think about that, who does that sound like to you? That sounds like us. That sounds like the redeemed. And we read other passages. We're gonna be dressed in white. We're gonna be rewarded for what we have done for him. And of course, you know, they throw their crowns down when they see God in his glory and his majesty as if to say, hey God, I might've achieved this, but you are so much more worthy than this. You're worthy of it all. And these elders and these living creatures sing this amazing song and notice the emphasis on redemption. It says in verse nine, you are worthy to take the scroll because you were slain. And with your blood, you've purchased people for God from every tribe and nation and so on. And you've made them to be a kingdom of priests. That's us. That's us. We have been called to be a kingdom of priests to God. We don't have a go-between anymore. We don't have, Jesus is the mediator. We can come straight to him. This is the God that we serve. So this is the song of the angels, uh, the, the elders. But then there's another group. There's the angels surrounding the 24 elders, surrounding the redeemed. Up until this point, it's just been the elders. And I can imagine the angels almost beating down the door, waiting to get into the throne room because they want to join this chorus. And we read there's millions upon millions of them. You couldn't number them. And they sing a song too. And when I see this, I think there's the horror of Calvary written in this one. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Because they were there that day. They looked down in horror, seeing what Jesus went through. And let me tell you, they saw the jubilation three days later when he walked out of that grave. And heaven resounded. This is the angels, their champion. Their champion has come back. And then the circle widens again. Beyond the angels, there's all of creation. Heaven, earth under the sea and everything that's in them. And they, unlike the first two, this just seems to be a a simple declaration of God's worth. To him who's on the throne and to the lamb, be praise, honor, glory, power. Now, I also believe this is gonna include people outside the kingdom of God for just a moment. I believe this is gonna include people who, you know, because Paul writes, every tongue is gonna confess Jesus is Lord. And church, just at that point, I don't want to waste my life on things that don't matter in this life. Like I said to you before, this life, we get so caught up in it. But there's such a bigger reality that we're going to step into one day. And I don't want to get to the judgment seat of God and God say, son, you wasted your time. You were chasing the wrong things. Do you remember the passage about the sheep and the goats? God wasn't talking to people that were following Islam or Hinduism or New Age. He was talking to people that said they loved Him. 
And they said, God, we did this in your name. We did that in your name. And he's, I think with tears streaming down his face, he'll be saying, I didn't know you. I died for you, but you didn't, you didn't have a relationship with me. Church, we can't waste this. We don't want to be in this last group. We want to be much closer to the throne. We want to know that we've got this eternity with him. And he promises that to all who believe. It's just a reminder to me again that worship is not just our singing. And singing is not worship. The two have a relationship. There's no question about that. But our worship is our life. Our worship is our life lived out in response to Him. All that we've read about here in Revelation 5. I mean, what a Jesus. We've seen Jesus as champion, haven't we? Jesus as our bridegroom. Jesus as Alpha and Omega. Jesus as the advocate, Jesus as the older brother, Jesus as almighty son. And then here we get just another glimpse, a Jesus that holds the future, a Jesus that has not been taken by surprise, a Jesus that is holding eternity in the palm of his hand. This is the God that we're serving. So as we end this passage, what is our response to be? How do we respond to this Jesus, this Lamb of God. I'd say it's like this. Eternal worship belongs to the Lamb because He's the holder of eternity. The one that holds our future deserves our worship now and our worship in perpetuity, forever and ever. Our lives from now committed to this cause. So how does that work out? What should we be doing here and now? There's probably a number of ways I could list this off, but I I can think of three. Firstly, I see it like this. I want a deeper devotional life with God. Seeing that this is the God that we serve, I think our response should be a a closer walk with Him, a deeper walk with Him. I mean, I see this and I just think, God, you are just so incredible. I want to know you more. I want a greater awareness of you, a greater awakening of who you are and all that you have achieved and you're going to achieve. Do you know, it's like in the same way that your behaviors are affected by those around you. You ever notice that? Those of you who are married, you probably laugh like each other. They say you look like each other eventually. That'll be good for me. But, um, but I'm serious. Like you, you model those who are around you. You pick up words for those who are around you. All the more when we hang out with Jesus. His character becomes in part of what we are becomes a part of our DNA. I want a deeper walk with Him. I want to remain in Him. Secondly, not just a deeper walk, but a deeper thirst for the presence of God, which we tasted a bit of this morning. And now that could be here at church. That might simply be in your day to day. And I I suggest to you it's both. I suggest to you it's both because, you know, he that has clean hands and a pure heart can ascend into the hill of the Lord. That doesn't depend on where you are. That depends on where your heart is. And realizing again, yes, I can't see these angels. I can't hear them, but I know they're there. And realizing that we are walking into this chorus of countless millions worshiping Jesus. I want that. And thirdly, thirdly, a motivation to share the gospel. When I read this, when I see that there's an eternity for us to be had and then there's this 
other alternative that the rest of the world is going to experience if they don't know him. That should motivate us. This is excitement and awe and wonder and this amazing picture of Jesus, but, but tucked away into verse 13 is just this little implication that there's some who are going to worship him once and then head off to judgment. I don't know about you, and we talked about it earlier. We've got loved ones who could be in that category. Friends, family, work colleagues. The urgency of the hour, brothers and sisters. We've got to share this with them. We don't want them in the unredeemed. We want them to be with us around that throne, singing that He is the worthy Lamb. Church, as we bring this to a close, and we're going to take some time to worship, I think that would be an awesome way to end. Let's just take some time in His presence now. You know, Revelation 4, the previous chapter, as I said earlier, it talks about the elders who is, it's us, it's all of us. And they lay their crowns down at the feet of the Lord. And they simply say, you know, we're not worthy. We're not the ones worthy of praise. It's you, Jesus. It's you who deserves the honour. It's a reminder that all of our achievements, all that we've placed in this life, It's just so foreign, it's so distant compared to the worth of Jesus. He is so worthy. And so this morning, I I just, as we worship here to finish, let's just dwell in His presence and really just ask that God would put that deep in our hearts this morning. He is the King of glory. He is the one worthy of our worship. Do you want Him to know Him more? I do. I want to walk closer to Him. Father, would you just do a work in our hearts this morning? Father, would you just open our hearts to the bigness of you, the wonder of you? Lord, this morning we cast our crowns before you. This morning, everything that we've ever thought was important, everything we've ever thought we achieved, we lay it down, God. We say, you are God. We say this morning, you are worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy you are, Lord, to receive power and honour, and glory, and all blessing. Lord, this morning, this morning, we just ask that You would expand our devotion to You. We ask that You would expand our our thirst for Your presence. And Lord, not just that our mouths would be open in worship, but our mouths would be open in mission, Lord God. That we would see this as, this is just so important that we share with our friends, we share with our loved ones, we share with our workmates. Because God, you are worthy and you have, you have willed that none should perish. You have willed, Lord, that we should be in your fold and that those that we love, Lord, you love so much more. God, just do a work in our heart this morning and this week, Lord God. As we, this year draws to a close, as we get to this Christmas season, Father, would you just remind us again of your worth, your grace and your goodness, Lord give you all the glory, all of the honour, Lord. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah.